0: What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the Big Fly Pod with the co-host, Christian Myers and myself, Ty Lewin. Today, we have a fantastic interview with Sean Spradling, who is actually the go-to social media guy for the World Baseball Classic, along with International Baseball. He is the host of the WBC Central Show, which you can find on the Baseball is Boring podcast on Spotify and Apple podcast platforms. You can also find his episodes on his own YouTube channel, which he uh, goes into everything with the WBC and obviously has been busy uh, these last couple of weeks. You can also find him on Twitter and TikTok as well. Sean, What's going on, man? Thank you so much for jumping on the big flight pod.
1: How's it going, man? Yeah, I'm I'm super excited. It has been very busy, but I love getting to stop and, and talk about the WBC and actually like process it with other people anytime that I can. So <laughs> this is great.
0: Sure. And it's um With all the moves and all the things that have happened over the last week, from jersey announcements to roster announcements, I know that you've had a pretty packed schedule. So, man, let's just start off with kind of getting into what got you started with getting into the world of talking international baseball. And did that really start with international baseball, then move to the WBC, or how'd that all unfold?
1: Yeah, that is honestly, that's a great question that even I've had to try to figure out how I even got wrapped up in all of this. <laughs> I, uh, I've i always loved baseball like I grew up. That was my favorite sport playing, um, played all the way through high school and um, enjoyed like hearing about international baseball. Never really followed any other leagues other than MLB um, until recently last year or two. Um, I think when the kind of transition for me really started was in 2017, I really did enjoy the WBC. I didn't get to watch every single game, but it was it was a blast to watch all of the players play for their own countries. Um, kind of opened my eyes a little bit to baseball outside of the US. But then ironically, what I think really was the big shift for me wasn't even baseball. It was in 2018, I uh, visited my wife's family in Brazil and it was during the World Cup. And so seeing like a world tournament on that scale and like how passionate everybody there was about supporting their country and playing for the national team and watching their team on on TV, like the whole country shuts down for two, three weeks was just a blast and like captivated me. Um, And so thinking about like how that could transition into baseball, because baseball is more global and international than I think a lot of people here in the States realize. Um, Of course it's nowhere near soccer, but just like even a little bit of that, having that potential was fascinating to me. So coming into 2022 last year, uh, I was like, Oh, well this is really cool. Like let's
0: try to make this as big as possible. So yeah. Very cool, man. And I love that because for me, I've actually really enjoyed soccer and that started actually from the uh, world cup. Uh, just watching all the, you know, the fan engagement and how these countries, as you said, literally shut down yeah. is such a special thing to watch. I mean, besides, you know, the whole idea of the country loving the team and, and being such you know, big fanatics of it, you know, any parts of the WBC that you found that you love the most, maybe besides just the whole engagement side of things from the fans? yeah i think so one of the big things for me
1: in the wbc is i guess this could also apply to the world cup but i love seeing the way players change their maybe not change but they like their personalities shift from playing with their club to their country and playing with the people that they have similar backgrounds and like grew up with um so for example, like the Venezuelan team, all of those guys knew a lot of those guys knew each other growing up the Puerto Rican team, um, in, uh, like the Dominican Republic or like the Cuban national team. A lot of those guys knew each other from previous teams growing up. Um, and they, they can speak their own language together. And, um, they have this like specific flair that like Puerto Ricans have versus what like Venezuelans have versus what like American how americans play the game so just seeing all of those different like subcultures within baseball was fascinating to me because for me it's just always been like baseball like an umbrella of baseball but then you go over to like see the japanese team and they play it totally different than like americans play so i think that was probably one of the big things for me is just seeing how different a lot of countries view baseball and play baseball
0: fantastic We're now going to go into just the WBC and what maybe what we're going to the outlook might be for each of the teams Um, Mm -hmm. across the board. Of course, you have the U.S., Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, you know, you have and Japan, you know, you have those premier teams that at the end of the day are going to be the likely favorites and where and who people see as being those finalists, especially in the semifinals. But Mm -hmm. just looking at the groups as of now, what teams in your eyes, maybe underrated teams that we can potentially see come out of nowhere and uh, potentially take down one of the premier teams? Oh, that, that's a really good question too. Um,
1: Let me ask you something in response to that question, because I want to see, I don't know if I've asked this to anyone yet. I have a team in mind as someone that's underrated that people aren't expecting, but I want to see from just like a, like a baseball fan that I haven't talked to yet. What you say, when, when you think Mexico, do you
0: think baseball powerhouse? That is a fantastic question. (laughs) Um, it's so funny because when you saw the announcements, especially from your pages, you saw some players like Randy or Rosarena that people are like, wait a minute, this guy plays for Mexico. And so are you implying that that is kind of your team to watch out for that could likely take down one of our top teams?
1: Yeah, I think that Mexico is incredibly underrated um, compared to the perception that a lot of people have of their team. Um, I think that Venezuela is almost top tier, but a lot of people are kind of jumped on that bandwagon and they realize how strong Venezuela can be. So for me, I think Mexico is probably the team that I'm still seeing a lot of people sleep on because for example, like you said, got guys like Randy Rosarena, Um, and who's Cuban Cuban born, but he, after he defected from Cuba, ended up, uh, landing in, in Mexico, he has some family in Mexico and kind of established his life there. And he was like, I love it here. I want to become a Mexican citizen. Like this is my country now. Um, so he's still Cuban, but also a Mexican citizen. So he's playing for Mexico, but then you look at the lineup and it's a full lineup of MLB players, which honestly not that many teams in in the WBC have yet. So you got guys like uh, like, well, we were supposed to have Ram- Ramon Urias. We have Luis Urias, uh, Isaac Paredes, uh, Alec Thomas, Joey Meneses, Alex Verdugo, um, Alejandro Kirk behind the plate, Roddy Tejaz. So all like established MLB names who can can all hit. Um, and like Joey Meneses, one of the biggest breakout stars in 2022 last year uh, with the Nationals. And I think that they they have a very strong lineup, but one of the one of the underrated aspects for them. Uh, one of the biggest underrated aspects for them is their pitching because pitching is if you followed me or the WBC for any amount of time, it's so hard to come by because a lot of MLB clubs don't want their players to their pitchers to to play or to participate for injury concerns, but they have their rotation is going to look s- something like Julio, Julio Urias, Patrick Sandoval, Taiwan Walker, and Jose or who are all very established, very successful, especially Julio Urias who's been named their captain. Um, very successful pitchers in, in the MLB. So because of that, I don't think people realize how strong and how competitive that they, they can be. This will be their best WBC team they've ever had. And they're in a pool with USA, Colombia, Canada, and great Britain. So Colombia is decent. Canada is decent, but I think that they have a very good shot to uh, advance with the U S
0: and I, and I love your approach right there where you talk about pitching because it's one where it's obviously at the end of the day, the bat you know from a player standpoint they haven't been able to get in a lot of games so seeing the ball and doing those things from a hitting perspective is going to be much more difficult Mm -hmm. and but from a pitching standpoint they have the ability to work on their pitching obviously throughout the entire offseason and while it does suck and I I will get to that here in a little bit with some of the names that have dropped off but it it, well it does suck that a lot of guys had to drop off it, it does make sense but I really believe that it's, it's unfortunate for those guys is they're going to have probably a, a major regret, not pitching in the world baseball classic as they're going to see that energy and, and passion from all the teams. I love mm-hmm. that pick. Mexico was one of those teams that when you're thinking about all the announcements and you're thinking about the Dominican Republic roster and you're thinking about the U S you just don't think about these other teams. And so I love that take what players that may be unfamiliar to the average baseball fan, maybe not either, playing in the MLB and playing in an international league or, you know, maybe a triple A double A or maybe just a name that's not necessarily big in the big leagues Mm -hmm. that you see as being probably one of the higher impact players for their team in the world baseball classic.
1: Interesting. So, uh, this could be any of the 20 teams, just who has the biggest impact. So my mind goes straight to, so we're thinking if we're thinking not guys, MLB guys um, I think a couple of the prospects like the high-end prospects who are will be in MLB in the next year or two are going to make a pretty big impact so you guys got guys like South Frelick in in the Orioles organization I don't know if he's their top or second I think he's probably their second or third prospect you have got Grayson Rodriguez but he is playing for team Italy And we'll be starting in the outfield for them. He's going to be a very solid pickup. Brandon Nimmo is not, is no longer playing for Italy anymore. So having him replace them, I think this is going to be a chance for him to really shine and like a showcase for him as he'll be entering MLB pretty soon. The other one I think of who I love, he's one of my favorite players in the minors right now is Harry Ford. He was absolutely incredible for Great Britain in their qualifiers. He hit like three home runs in five games, I think, and uh, was like their best hitter easily. He just absolutely mashes for them. Um, So he'll be playing for Great Britain. He'll be their starting catcher in the WBC. He'll be coming up uh, for the Mariners probably in the next year, probably two years or so. So I think this is a great opportunity for a lot of those, um, like the prospects to actually use this as a showcase. And I, I actually talked with Josh Wolf, one of the pitchers for Israel. He's in the Guardians organization. He said like he's using this as an opportunity not only to like represent his country and um and and like honor his family but he's also really excited to like get to play in an MLB atmosphere before he makes it to the MLB. He's like I've never been able I've never played in front of that many people or faced like, like he's in uh he's he's in, he's in pool D. He might get to face like Francisco Lindor or like pitch against like Vlad Guerrero Jr. So It's really cool opportunity for a lot of these prospects to, uh, get to like actually showcase themselves. That's kind of where my mind goes to first. Um, when it comes to like high impact players, fantastic.
0: I would definitely agree. Those are guys that we talk about on our podcast all the time for what players to watch out for, for each individual team. So great picks there before we get to the U S I was wondering if, and if you don't know this, this is totally fine. This is just a question I thought of here. Why is it that the world baseball classic does multiple countries rather than one country or one state for the purposes of, you know, I think about it from the standpoint of like Japan. And I, I, I get, I, I get the probably the part that you may mention here where it's like, they want those teams to be with their countries to be able to play in front of those fans. I'm just wondering, though, wouldn't it make it more difficult, though, for like those teams that are traveling from Japan to the United States, 24 hour flights, you know, uh, multiple countries like has that ever been brought up in conversation from like conversations you've had or what you've learned so far from following all this as to why that is the case? So you're saying like why the pools are
1: differentiated in that way?
0: Yeah. Cause it like, I would think, you know, cause the championship is in Miami, correct? Correct. Yes. So then, I mean, I would think from that pool that's playing out in Japan and everything, wouldn't that technically be sort of a disadvantage for them or do they not see it that way? Yeah, I think, I
1: think it, I mean, I think it is a disadvantage and I think that it probably is seen like that. Ideally in the future, I think we would hope that it would be something similar to the world cup where it is all in the same country, at least if not the same state or region. I think right now the hard part is because of the time frame of the tournament right before the season, these training camps are happening either within spring training or like right next to or or at the same time as spring training not only for mlb but also for npb and kbo over in east asia Mm -hmm. so because of that i think it it, it's hard to leave your country for a whole month when you're preparing for your professional season um i would prefer it to be all in the same country but if you think of guys like like in japan one of their top pitchers rookie sasaki he's already been like training for the wbc for the last week or two and so if you think of like their their season MPB season doesn't start for another month. Like if he was to already come over here and like start preparing in the U S that'd be a pretty long time for him to be away from his team. So I think right now it's just, a, it's hard because of the regional it, it, the, the, it's just like a regional difference that makes it hard to have
0: it all in one place. Ideally it would be though. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. I was just thinking about that the other day. I was like, you know, because of the impact the World Cup has on that one individual country is, is yeah. significant. And obviously, the World Baseball Classic is not in the grand scheme of the world is not as impactful as the FIFA World Cup. But I was just thinking, like, you know, if I'm Japan and I dominate over in that pool and it's like, oh, my Lord, I know I got <laughs> to fly 24 hours. I'm guessing they get a few days break and all yeah. those things. Just something that I kind of thought out. Um, yeah. But you got that like jet lag, like 12 hours away. That's, yeah. that's tough. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm thinking about the guys like, um, you know, say a Suzuki. So I'm a cub fan and I'm thinking about, man, he's nice. got to go from Arizona to now going to Japan, play in that tournament. And then fly I, again. Crazy. Yeah. It's so hopefully, hopefully no injuries, anything like that. Let's focus yeah. on the U S let's focus on the U S. Um, really unfortunate news. As you mentioned on your podcast the other day, Logan Webb and Nestor Cortez uh, dropped out of uh, participating in the classic Uh, sounds like Webb was um, more of a potentially money side of things. And Nestor Cortez was an injury. So, How do we see the starting rotation stacking up for the U.S. now without those two guys? Are we looking at some players that maybe are underrated, not talked about enough, or are we going to see the big names be that starting rotation for the squad? Yeah, I think those, those two are such big hits for the U
1: S because we have what I would say is the strongest offense in the WBC. I think it's right up there with, I think the Dominican Republic is also right up there um, with having the strongest lineup, but our pitching is what is a little bit lacking. And for one reason or another, a lot of the American pitchers, the high end American pitchers don't participate right now. Um, Thankfully we have someone like Clayton Kershaw who actually is. um, We don't have the guys like DeGrom or Scherzer or Verlander injury, the contracts that they have, like there's plenty of reasons why they or their club wouldn't want them to play, but without Webb and without Nestor Cortez, I think the rotation that we're looking at right now is more or less going to be Clayton Kershaw, Brady Singer, um, and Adam Wainwright is most likely going to be in the starting rotation. Um, I, I could see it be, I could see Lance Lynn or Miles Michaelis getting a start here or there. But when it, when it comes to like the guys who I think Mark DeRosa, who's the manager for USA is going to want to be out there. Not only is he like close to Wainwright, but also he's like, I, I heard a uh, interview that Wainwright did and he was like, yeah, I've only got indications that I'm starting. He hasn't told me anything about me relieving. So I could see it being like Kershaw, wainwright and then one other guy whether it's brady singer whether it's uh merrill kelly um miles Michaelis, who does have some experience against uh like east asian baseball um so it's it's tough that we don't have a lot of our starters but because of the inning or the, the pitch limits in the wbc it'll come down to a lot of bullpen guys anyways or being able to like stack starters so maybe you have like a uh, Kershaw come in and then out right after him, three or four innings later, you pair him up with a, like a Lance
0: Lynn or something like that. So great breakdown, great breakdown. Yeah. I was thinking, I was like, I wonder what the limits are going to look like from an inning and pitching perspective. Cause every team's going to be different with that. And, um, yeah, cause I, I you looked at it and you you saw those two names. You said, those are guys that legitimately have had, no injuries or any issues and have really been star studded players across baseball here, especially last year. And just such unfortunate news. And and I had worries of, um, you know, some players dropping out, but I I'm glad to see Kershaw made it through, especially, you know, him understanding that maybe he's on the back end of his career and this is an opportunity that he can't pass up. Um, We were looking at, you know, you talk about that lineup, right. And you have legitimately one of the best lineups that has ever been put together. How do guys like Tim Anderson, Bobby Witt Jr, um, even guy like Cedric Mullins? I mean some of these guys that aren't necessarily at the top tier, but they're still fantastic ball players. Mm-hmm. in the WBC, do they do a lot uh, like different lineups per regular pool games and then it's like a strict lineup then in the in the playoff rounds? Or are these guys legitimate backups? They won't see the field unless it's injury? you know, getting blown out or maybe even like a defensive running, you know, or or, excuse me, as a pinch runner, like how does that all work with some of these guys? Because I mean, that's still a guy that I could see starting for the U S from both those guys, you know, if they don't. Yeah. you could you could you could take the U.S. lineup with just the guys that are supposed to be
1: like backups and still have one of the best teams in the league. Like Pete Alonso, Tim Anderson, uh, Cedric Mullins, like those guys that you mentioned. Will Smith, one of the best catchers in the world. Like it's 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 pretty crazy the depth on that team. I think with the USA specifically, and it's probably different for every country, but with the USA, I have taken a lot of my cues from Mark DeRosa in his interviews, just like what he's kind of expecting to see in the tournament, and he's emphasized highly like how much this WBC this tournament is for the players to shine and so I think he does want to kind of have a rotation going he's mentioned like there are guys that are clear like everyday starters like he mentioned he's not going to sit Mike Trout there's no way him and Mookie are sitting but For a lot of those other guys, we have a lot of middle infielders that I could easily see getting a couple games in. Um, You got Trey Turner at shortstop um, or second base if needed. But then from there, after him, Jeff McNeil, Tim Anderson, uh, Bobby Witt Jr. So, like, you could easily see some of those guys make, make a couple starts. I think maybe depending on, like, Righty or lefty pitchers, you'll see maybe halfway through the game they'll get some subs in, or like the day after because I know there'll be some back-to-back games for these guys. They'll uh, they'll switch those guys out. um But for guys maybe like Cedric Mullins or Bobby Witt Jr., I do see them probably more as a defensive sub in in Mullins' um, situation since he's he's lights out out there. His glove's incredible. And then for Bobby Witt, he'd be a great pinch runner. I think he'd be a weapon, like in the eighth, ninth inning, if if we need to have someone on the base path. So, yeah, I, I it might be hard. I don't covet or envy Mark DeRosa's job of trying to fit everybody on
0: the field, but it's it's a good problem to have for sure. It's it really is the best problem. And yeah, um, you just look at all these teams, and and you're just like stud, 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 right? So. Yeah. It, it's kind of just fun to see that, like these guys are potentially backups, but I mean the impact that they can make in the seventh, eighth, ninth inning is just going to be tremendous. Oh yeah. Um. Last question, just on the U.S. Any word yet on you know from the bullpen perspective of who we're going to see as that closer for that for the U.S. team? There's a couple names on here that I could see being that option, but has that has word come out yet of who's going to be the official closer? No, I haven't
1: seen anything. Uh, Mark DeRosa hasn't seen anything about who's going to be the closer. My guess would be one of two guys, either Daniel Barter or Ryan Presley, Both those are the the two clear options in my opinion. But if you look at the pitch limits, um, there's like, depending on how many pitches you throw in a game, there's like a certain amount of days rest that you need for 50 pitches, a certain amount of days rest you need for 30. And then under that, there's not really any limit. The only like limit that they have for throwing under 30 pitches is if you pitch two days in a row, you have to have a couple of days off. So if that ever becomes an issue, then I would assume that one of those guys would be the closer and then the other come in. Or if, if DeRosa just wants to avoid that altogether, he could just go back and forth like one day Presley, one day Bard, and then he doesn't have to worry about those.
0: Interesting. I did not know about the, the pitch limit rules. I actually think that's, I'm, I'm glad they're doing that. I really am because while yeah. DeRosa is a fantastic guy and cares about those players through and through, you just always worry with any of these teams, especially yep. for, you know, these passionate countries, you know, they want to see, they want to see their country winning. They're they're willing to watch a guy go hundred pitches when he hasn't probably thrown that in a while. Um. Yeah. Last thing just on, the going off of that really quick with just the rules, any other unique rules that are in place for the WBC that maybe aren't normal in regular MLB, or is that pretty much it from like a pitch limit standpoint?
1: The, that's the big one. The pitch limits. Um, none of the rules that are implemented. These new MLB rules are going to be in play in the WBC, which I'm kind of happy about because while it would be nice for the MLB players to get used to those rules all the other guys from other leagues and these guys who played in the MLB their whole careers, it'd be an adjustment period. So the whole WBC would just be them adjusting. So I'm glad that they just get to like work with the rules that they know, finish the tournament. And then after that kind of adjust to those rules. Um, Other than that, other than the pitch limits, there's not really anything that's super unique. They do have the three batter minimum for pitchers, but other than that, not, not really
0: shift is still allowed and everything. You can basically do everything. Wow. That's going to be, That'll be interesting, uh. Because yeah, it'll be fun. That's gonna be tough for guys that legitimately are not gonna have the this year. Been working all off season on being able to do whatever the hell they want, and now they're go back. Wow, that's God. This it'll is, be
1: interesting. It'll be It'll be, <laughs> be a lot of fun,
0: man. I'm so excited. March 8th for that World Baseball Classic, folks. Um, any international players that currently do not play in that uh don't play in the states that are playing in those international baseball leagues. Um, any particular player right now that is going to be a high impact player that we could see in the big leagues potentially in the next couple of years? I have, I've heard a couple names, but I was wondering if what your thoughts were there.
1: Yeah. So there are a couple names that MLB fans probably do know because there were a few Japanese players that made some highlight high, uh, made some headlines this last year. um, I think the two biggest ones, actually I'll highlight three because there are three guys that can potentially come over from NPB to MLB in the next couple of years. And I would say the consensus is that NPB is the second best league in the world. So they are generally known as like a quadruple a somewhere between triple a and MLB talent. So if you're a star in NPB, you're going to be successful for the most part in MLB, assuming you don't have any injuries. So the, the guys that most people focus on and, Rightfully so, on Japan's team um, from the NPB, the their third baseman Munataka Murakami,
0: he Fantastic is job pronouncing that too. Fantastic, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've had some uh, I've had
1: some practice with that. I don't think I say it perfectly,
0: but <laughs> I've had to say it a couple times.
1: Fantastic. He is probably the best hitter in all of Japan right now. He's a third baseman. He is like 23 years old and just beat the japanese born record for home runs ever in npb he had 56 home runs which had stood for a while he's 23 years old against a league of pitchers that don't really give up home runs that often um so it's he is like this this new type of power hitter that japan is not used to having um like since hideki matsui he's probably the best power hitter we will see in in mlb um he's He'll come over in a couple of years whenever he's able to post. He's already said that he's ready to come over, but he is absolutely dominant. He kind of had a strikeout issue last two years ago, fixed it this year. His uh, OPS, I think was over like, it was like 1016, something like that. It was crazy. So he's awesome. He's going to, he's their best hitter. Definitely watch out for him in uh, the WBC because other than Otani, I think he'll probably be right up there for the, one of the best hitters in the, on their team. And then there's two pitchers who people are going crazy about. Um, I'll start with Roki Sasaki. He is the young guy who's like 21 years old. Everybody's freaking out about him. He throws over hundred miles per hour. I think he got up to like one Oh three. He almost had two straight perfect games last year. He threw a full perfect game, came back his next start and threw, I think eight perfect innings and they took him out of the game because it was just too much on his arm.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So he, that's awesome.
1: It's insane. Like I, he, he is the guy that everybody's going crazy about. There's this one quote that Otani had earlier like in last season who someone asked like hey do you think that you're the best player on Japan's team and he said no he thinks that it's someone else and most people think he's talking about this kid I don't know if I agree with him but maybe from a pure pitching standpoint I I, most people believe that he has like just the best stuff that we've seen in a long time from a Japanese pitcher and then another this one this is a harder name to say but Yoshinobu Yamamoto he is the best pitcher in Japan Um, even better than Roki Sasaki. He's like 24. I think he'll be coming over to MLB probably in the next few years as well. He uh, he's the best pitcher there. Um, ERA of sub two, probably. I mean, I don't know exactly. I don't have his stats pulled up, but at least over the last couple of years. Um, So those three guys for sure from Japan are uh, big names.
0: Yeah, I know we keep, the, all the announcements come out. It's U.S. and it's the Dominican Republic, yeah. and you, know, you got Ronald Cunha Jr. You know, uh, being a part of Venezuela, and yeah. no one, no one has really talked about what Japan is about to bring, and how if they don't slaughter every team in that in that pool, I will be legitimately shocked. <laughs> And I think everyone needs to see them face off against DR or, or the U S it's just, I,
1: I totally agree. It's people are very much underrating Japan just because we don't know their players as well. They're Mm -hmm. the most successful team ever in WBC history. They've never finished worse than third they won the first and the second one and then the last two they finished third. So like they get opportunities to play with each other. They all know each other super well in a way that like the US players don't because they all play for their different countries. They don't play in these international tournaments. So we could talk forever about Team Japan. Um I did want to mention one other guy from Korea though because no one really knows If you don't follow KBO at all, his name's Jung-Hoo Lee. He won MVP last year. He's easily the best hitter in Korea. He's already said that he's coming over after the 2023 season. Uh, 1,000 OPS. Uh, Last year, he had over 100 RBI, 23 home runs. Um, He's also pretty quick and plays really good outfield. So he's a name to for sure watch out. He'll be their best hitter for uh, Korea as well.
0: Fantastic, man. That was was awesome. That's what I was really, really looking forward to talking about was just (laughs) some of these guys that – I mean, to think that you can go out there or to go out there and have legitimately 17 perfect innings in a row or 56 home runs. And all we know about Japanese baseball right now at this time are guys like Shohei and Kodai Senga and a lot of these guys that are brought over. I wish that we promoted uh, the KBO. It's the KBO, correct? And the MPB. And the NPB, yes, NPB is Nippon
1: Professional Baseball, and then KBO is the Korean Baseball Association. Yeah, Korean Baseball, Okay,
0: got it, got it. Okay, perfect. All right, last question. Uh, I had. I know we talked about potentially getting some other things, but looks like we're getting limited here on time. And I uh, just again, Sean, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. As I know, we're a low-level podcast, but at the end of the day, uh, I could tell how much you love talking about this, and so I can't thank you yeah. enough. Oh, this is great. The heart. This is the hardest question of them all, and it's it's never true at the end of the day, unless uh, unless you're really really lucky. Who's your prediction to win it all? Let's start with the matchup in the in the championship game, and then who takes it? Who are you going with? That is
1: a that is the question, and I think oh, that's so tough. I might have to delay my answer slightly because I have told people that I'm not going to make an official official prediction until like <laughs> a couple of days before the tournament, so but cool. I can, I can give you like my definitive top tier is USA Dominican Republic in Japan. I could easily see any of those three teams winning. I would not at all count out Venezuela. I think that they're very underrated and should be considered in almost that top tier. Um, with Dominican Republic losing
0: out on some of their highest end pitchers that we thought were going to be playing. And, and remind the and remind the folks of just who they lost out on uh, or the announcement that yep. came out here in the last couple of days. Yeah.
1: So Dominican Republic was my number one in my power rankings for this whole winter. I think I may have to flip that now. I don't know yet. It's still a one A one B with US and Dominican Republic because while they do still have Sandy Alcantara and Christian Javier, who are both lights out, they lost uh Framber Valdez. He's not playing. Uh, Luis Castillo, Luis Severino, and um, Brewer's pitcher. Am I blank- blanking on his name?
0: Are you talking about uh, Freddy Peralta?
1: Freddie Peralta, thank you. Yep. Yes. Okay. So four starters, very reliable, um, who all were supposed to be, uh, at le- if not in the rotation, very high leverage pitchers for them. But then in addition to that, they also lost out on some bullpen arms like uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez. And uh, closer for the Guardians, um, oh, Manuel Ponce. Oh. He's not going to be pitching for them, which is huge in the back end of that bullpen. So uh, they'll probably have Camilo Duval step in, or Brian Abreu, or Diego Castillo. All these guys that are still like rock solid, but they their depth isn't quite what it was previously. So because of that, I think I don't think they are a consensus number one anymore. Like a lot of people thought they were. I think right now with where the rosters are at. I would still have
0: USA as
1: the betting favorite to win the tournament. Got
0: it. That I'll give that. Good. Uh, you did give me you did give me a little, little bit of something, but I think you've left the door open uh, for your decision on uh, what's to come. And, and really, as we talked about it with the breakdown today, you're talking about multiple teams here that are deep in certain areas that at the end of the day with a tournament like this, while you have big names like Mike Trout and uh you know Shohei Otani on, on Japan, don't count out some of these teams that can go out there with a guy who could potentially shut them down for six, seven innings. It's uh it's a tournament that I think a lot of people know about and see the videos of the Adam Jones catch in, in 2017 and yeah, just the impact all that had on baseball and how electric that was. I think people are going to see a new age of the world baseball classic from just how much talent we have across the board. Sean, thank you so much for joining us, man. I mean, just let people know, how how can people follow you? Where can they find you? Um, I know we mentioned at the beginning of the pod, but I wanted to open the floor to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, So the biggest, my biggest platforms that I, share if you want anything any news related to the wbc or international baseball um i mostly post on twitter my twitter is at sean underscore spradling um, and then my tiktok is just at sean spradling i'll also post like wbc videos there and then i have a podcast uh, it is called wbc central on the baseball isn't boring podcast network and uh I, I post the videos on my youtube it's also available on the baseball isn't boring um like feed on all streaming platforms so
0: Beautiful. That's perfect. All right, Sean, thanks so much again for joining us, man. Appreciate you taking the time and, uh, man, I think people are going to be ecstatic after listening to this podcast and, uh, really excited to see everything go down on March 8th. So thanks. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. This has been a ton of fun. I appreciate it. Absolutely.